when I look at my career, I think a lot of it I would honestly say was luck. If you asked me five years ago, I wouldn't say that. Mm -hmm. um, but I've kind of matured since then. I think a lot of the, the things that have come out of my career has been just right timing, right place. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Work Pants Podcast. I'm your host, Ali Kaleli, and in today's episode, I'm joined by Alok Nabi. He's the co-founder and CTO of InsureTech Startup Covered. Now, I really agree with Alok's sentiment that luck has a huge role to play in our careers, but I think when you hear this interview, you'll recognize that he also has a huge amount of determination, curiosity, and talent. I can't wait for you to hear his story, so let's get into it. Hey guys, I'm Alok. I'm passionate about technology and business. I'm currently one of the founders at Covered. Um, it's an exciting InsureTech startup and um, yeah, great to be chatting to you today, Ali. Awesome. It's funny. So what you said you were passionate about there wasn't so, was it, wasn't so directly related to insurance, was it? Yeah, I, I would probably admit I'm not particularly passionate about insurance industry itself. Um, I am passionate about technology and the way technology can impact people's lives through the application to business. So one of the things that interests me about InsureTech, and I wouldn't say I'm, I'm necessarily passionate about insurance, but what interests me or attracted me to InsureTech was really the fact that it's an industry and area that's really lagging behind somewhat in the kind of technology innovation space. And what attracts me to it is there's a huge opportunity there to actually use it to technology to make a real difference. Okay, that's exciting. So it just so happened that that insurance was, you know, happened to be the opportunity in front of you that you could apply your skills yeah. and, and passion for technology to. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah wonderful. Um, so can you tell can you tell me a little bit about how you've ended up being a co-founder at Covet, the journey there? Yeah, it's been um let's see. So maybe I'll start with my early career. So when when I graduated from university, um I was working at a, at a company that was specialized in robotics. So we were building like um, these, these robots to help the CSIRO scientists measure the growth of plants because they're trying to do fancy stuff with, um, and it gets a bit technical, but like moving plants down the carbon chain so that plant crops can grow in high carbon environments, which kind of the world is headed towards. So it was a very interesting research piece. And I was involved with a niche um, kind of robotics uh, consultancy where we were building the machines that will help the um, scientists measure these attributes of the plants. Um, so that's quite interesting. Um, doing that, I realized a couple of things. Um, one, that I really enjoyed software. Um, two, I wasn't so interested in hardware part of robotics. So then kind of my next step in my career was, okay, how can I find a role that's more focused around software? Because that's kind of what, what I'm enjoying doing. Um, so yeah, from, from there, I joined a web agency um, so we were building different um, apps and websites for some of the biggest organizations in Australia, like you know, Woolworths, uh, Westfield, Secure Parking. So building websites and apps for them, which was really interesting. I um, learned a whole lot doing that. Um, and yeah, from there, I guess, I just happened to be sitting next to the person at that company who was responsible for the infrastructure around the time when the whole cloud infrastructure space came, came about. And I kind of looked over at him and I'm like, that's really interesting what you're doing. Tell me more. So I learned more about infrastructure and cloud. And I'm like, cool, it's somewhere I'd really like to get involved. So then I kind of transitioned into that space, um, cloud DevOps, um, and then moved to another company, which where I worked um, in the cloud space as well, but focused on the telco industry. So you can probably tell now I've been 
applying technology to various different industries instead of kind of focused on one. So I started out with um, scientific research, moved to more like retail space, and then the telco space. Um, and then from there, I moved to another company, again, in the DevOps, um, IT operations space, cloud, um, focused on financial services. So building like um, lending software for banks and things. So learned a lot about financial services there. And then I had this really interesting opportunity with a US um, scale-up who was opening their first office globally and they wanted to do it in Australia. So one of the colleagues I'd worked with at the company where I was working with telcos um, is now working for this US company. So he reached out to me about you know opening up in Australia. And at the time I had only held technical roles really. So kind of IT software development technical roles. Um, but this role was very different. It was um, business operations kind of getting something off the ground in another country, um, which was really fascinating for me because I've always been interested in startups and I knew that one day I wanted to build my own business. But one of the barriers for me has always been, I guess, financial security, right? We've got mortgages to pay. Um, when, you, when you build a startup, you may have no salary, you may have a small salary, but it's not the same as what you would get in a secure job, right? Um, so I saw this as an opportunity to kind of learn about business, get something off the ground while still having the backing of a kind of a secure salary, right? So did that for a, for a few years. I um, really enjoyed what I was learning about business, about sales, about account management, client success, just wearing so many different hats when you're kind of the first person on the ground, right? Um, and then for a while there, I was like, I really want to learn more about business. So I enrolled in an executive MBA, um, thinking that I wanted to um, you know, go through a three, four-year course um, to learn about business. Um, I kind of did one semester of that it was a good experience, um, met a lot of connections. But one thing I learned about myself is I very much prefer learning by doing rather than learning by studying. <laughs> um, I spent you know, five and a half years at uni doing a double degree and I didn't want to spend another three years studying. So um, that's what kind of inspired me to say, look, you know, I'm, I'm in a position now where if I want to learn more about business and really get out of my comfort zone and grow myself, maybe I should just do it, start something. Um, so I spent the next maybe year and a half trying to find the right idea, you know, trying to find the right person to um, get into business with. Um, and yeah, that's what led me to COVID, really. There's so much in, in what you've just shared that's exciting and interesting. Going right back to the robotics and um, the work that you're doing, that you were doing with CSIRO early, early in your career, like... Um, mm-hmm that must have been a really exciting place to be thinking about plants growing in, in, in carbon rich environments. Um, did you, I mean, what do you, what do you, what do you sort of attach now looking back to your, to the achievements you made and the places and industries that you've contributed to? Cause you, you, you mentioned telco retail, you know, science, um, financial services, yeah, it's um. Kind of, when I reflect back, one of the things that kind of stand out to me is I've always enjoyed, maybe enjoyed is the right word, I've, I've always really been passionate about doing things where I can see the impact of my work. And maybe one of the common threads in my career journey has been that I've never really worked for a large corporation. I've always worked for either small companies, you know, smallest maybe being three people, and we've excluded COVID when, when we started. Um, to, you know, maybe 200 people globally. So kind of that small to medium-sized company. And I think one of the things that really um, draws me to that style of engagement is being able to really 
have measurable impact and see the impact I'm making on clients, customers, on the people around me. Um, so I've always kind of stayed in that niche space where, um, you know, I, I can really see the impact I'm having on on people. And because one of the things I've always thought about technology is technology is great, but only when it adds value to people's lives. Otherwise, what's what's the point, right? <laughs> That's a wonderful point. Um, so you mentioned uh, it's, it's and so wonderful too that you've been able to identify what what matters to you. This idea of being able to see the measurable measurable impact you make made. And I can also see how it's such a natural fit for you to be an entrepreneur and, and be a founder. How did you know you were ready? Because you mentioned that the biggest, perhaps one of the biggest uh, things holding you back was the security, the, the the factor of security. So how did you know you were ready? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, one of so one of the biggest factors was financial security. So I guess my wife and I got our family to a point where we felt comfortable enough that if I had to leave a secure job and work on a business for up to one year without a salary, that we could support our lifestyle, our mortgage payments, everything we need to do. Um, one crazy thing I would mention there is the the month we incorporated covered is the same month my son was born. So our first, our first child in the family, which was, Whoa. Pretty wild, <laughs> I, I <laughs> yeah. Say. Um, but yeah, I, I wouldn't change it. It's um, both of these things are, are very much growth opportunities. I think it was one of the busiest and most fulfilling times of my life. Um, so I guess going back to your original question, how did I know I was ready? I've, I've always been comfortable in making myself uncomfortable. If that makes sense. I've always been kind of inclined to throw myself at something and I figure it out when I get there. So really the only barrier for me was that financial security. So once we got to the point where we can, you know, look at our finance and be like, hey, you know, we can do this, um, there was really nothing else kind of stopping me from making that leap. What um, if if you were speaking to someone who was uh, maybe the a lock from a few years ago and they were trying to work out whether starting their own venture was for them, what would you say are the key ingredients you need to bring as an individual if you're going to go on that journey? Yeah, good question. Um, I would say you need to find something that you will be passionate and motivated about because starting this journey is a roller coaster. Um, there's, a, there's wins, there's not so great days, and you just need to make sure that what you're doing is something that will keep you motivated. Um, and I think the, the other kind of thing is just be curious and be willing to learn. Um, so that's really important for, you know, I guess anything new you do, you just want to make sure you've got that natural curiosity to kind of learn what's going on, you know, how can you do things better and, you know, you know all of that kind of, um, yeah, I, I always say it's just kind of curiosity. And then probably the other main factor is, don't try it alone. Um, it, it could be a lonely journey. So find someone that um, is as passionate as you um, and maybe even at the same life stage as you. Um, but yeah, I was really fortunate in finding my co-founder who's amazingly talented, um, really good at what she does. And you know, we get along really well as well. So you, know, you really need someone who can kind of be there for you during the ups and downs as well. 
Okay, and finding the the ideal co-founder. I mean, what what was involved there? Because it sort of seems a little bit like a bit of luck, a little bit of magic, a bit of right place, right time. Is there anything that that we can do to kind of orchestrate that or work out how to find a good fit if we want to go on the journey with someone else? Yeah, it's it is a lot of luck and timing and and all of that. And I think the the only it's a numbers game. The only way you can find that right co-founder is to put yourself out there and create opportunities. Put yourself in places where you'll meet like-minded people. So like um, I was going to different um, startup meetups, events, um, doing some online courses where there's a you know, group component. Um, you know, I actually met my startup through um, the Antler program where you know they get founders together, right? So um, a lot of the people I met was through going to various kind of meetups to you know, build connections, build relationships and get into the ecosystem and start talking to people. Um, yeah, it's really a numbers game, I think. And if you if you could define it, what do you think makes the best startup team? What 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 are the ingredients that we're looking for when it comes to the collaboration? Yeah, I think it's um they're definitely complementary skill sets is an important one. So you want to make sure that the founding team to some level can cover all the functional um, pieces that's involved in building the type of business you're building. Um, and also making sure that the founding team has maybe some unique insights or or um, experience in, in that industry so they can really kind of stand out from everyone else. Um, beyond that, I think it's a collaborative team that's just willing to learn from their customers from the market and just roll up the sleeves and get things done. Awesome. Okay, I want to... Um focus a little bit more now on on covered itself um can you tell me about how covered is using technology to make people's lives better mm-hmm. so one of the gaps that covered has identified in the insurance market is that there isn't a lot of that there's very little um advice and guidance given to consumers who are looking at purchasing um, domestic insurance, so things like home and car insurance. Um, and the result of that is, you know, some of the you know, horrible stories you might read and very sad stories you might read in the news about, um, you know, people being underinsured during a flood or a bushfire or not getting, you know, covered for those kind of things. So we really wanted to tap into that market and help people make sure that they are matched to the right insurance product that meets their needs. So in the case of a flood or a bushfire or any catastrophic event, people can feel like their peace of mind that they're going to be covered for, for those um, events. So right now, that onus is put onto the individual to figure out for themselves what's right for you, right? And we all know insurance is a very complicated financial product. Um, you know, it's, it's a very complicated contract and you know, it's impractical to expect everyone to be able to really understand the ins and outs of every insurance product. So our technology is built to um, understand the customer's needs and then understand the insurance products and then figure out which one is the best match for them in real time automatically. So that's, and I think by doing that, we can really impact people's lives by making sure that when they need insurance, it's there for them. Yeah, that's fantastic. And so um, what's been the enjoyable, like, what have you found most enjoyable on the technology side when it comes to covered? There's been a lot of challenges, um, but a lot of um, 
interesting things. Um, I, I guess more of recent kind of the application of AI to some of the things we're doing. Um, being able to apply this kind of new, you know, modern technology that you know probably five, ten years ago you didn't exist, right? Um, you, you couldn't do it. So um, yeah, being able to take these new tools and frameworks and actually apply it to our use case. Um, in order to kind of accelerate our development and, and get it out to customers. And that's been really exciting. Fantastic. And um, if thinking about um, maybe people who would do this kind of work or who aren't doing this kind of work but would be interested to do more work in the technology space or even in the insurance space, um, what are what are some of the skills you think that would transfer really well into this world? I'll talk more about um, technology space um, because I've got much more experience in that than, than insurance. So some of the skills I think that would transfer really well, and I think there is there's there's a shortage of people who really understand technology and can communicate well um, in the business world at the same time. To so someone who's kind of got really depth understanding of any technology and being able to translate that into um, a way that you know how it impacts the business how it impacts customers because oftentimes um there's a different archetype of someone who's you know maybe a strong engineer and someone who's strong at kind of business and selling right so i think anyone who's got that skill set where they can kind of sit between those two worlds um be able to, be able to translate one to the other i think that's a very um powerful skill set so if you were if you had a technical background, then you might be looking to sharpen your your communication skills and, and speaking to the every person. If you were real a really great communicator, then perhaps it's about um, getting a bit of technical proficiency. Yeah, I think so. Maybe one of the examples I might give to make, make this real concrete was um, when I was working for that um, US scale up where I opened up in Australia. One of our first enterprise customers, which was a, a large bank in Australia, um, we, were, we were kind of doing a 12-month project to implement this solution in, in, their, in their environment. And so I was wearing the hat of, you know, project manager, account manager, client success manager, kind of that, you know, not so technical, but business-related role. But the fact that I also understood the technology so well meant that I could really accelerate the implementation and, and the project um, where I, I didn't necessarily have to go to um, my technical resources who are all based in the US in a different time zone. And, you know, kind of I was able to handle all of that in the same same session. I think um, that's maybe one example where when you combine those two skill sets, you can really add a lot of value. I hope that's helpful. Yeah, definitely. I think so. Um, I wonder, you know, it's it's great, I think, for people to have the picture painted of people who love their work as you do a lot. But I also think it's helpful to to take the rose-coloured glasses off sometimes and talk about the things that can be really challenging. Um, so whether it's as a founder or in the technology space, what, what are the what are the hardest aspects of the work that you do? Hardest aspects. Um, I think as a as a founder, there's probably a, a the, the hardest thing for me has been kind of balancing commitments. Because as a founder, you feel the pressure of um, so many people depending on you, whether it's your employees, your investors, your customers, and you know you've got you've always got a to do list bigger than what you can actually achieve to get done. 
Um, at the same time, um, I've got a young family, so I've got commitments to my family. Um, and it's always a, it's, I don't think I've ever got the balance right, but it's a, it's a juggling act trying to um, balance those two commitments. And, you know, whatever you do, you'll be feeling guilty you're not doing the other thing. So if I'm spending time with a family, I'm like, oh, I really need to do this work. If I'm spending time working, then I'm like, oh, I'm missing time for family. So um, personally, that's been quite challenging for me. Um, and I will admit I probably still don't have that balance right, but I'm working on it. Do you think that, do you think that if there was, if you weren't the founder, do you think if you were the employee again, that that would, um, that would remove that juggle and that sort of sense of kind of being half in two worlds yeah, I mean, all the time? It could. It probably depends on on each individual, right, what type of employee you are because, you know, as an employee, you depending on your company, you might get some, you know, uh, clear boundaries on what you do and what times you work and you know, that could be what you just kind of rely on to be like, okay, cool, nine to five and then I'm off. Um, I guess as a founder, it's it's not that clear cut. Um, mm. So I think, yeah, it's hard to tell. Just, I guess it just depends on the individual. If you can, if you can define those clear boundaries, and you can be satisfied that you're keeping your role within the times you're allocating, then I think that could work well. Mm. I guess as the founder, though, you kind of know the boss and can have a quiet word with him if you know something's ever feeling like it's out of control. <laughs> yes, um, you can definitely. Um, there's definitely flexibility. Yeah, that's one of the benefits of being a founder. So, you know, you, you can kind of shift your work times if you need to be flexible and stuff without really needing to um, get approval from HR or any kind of sign-off necessarily, which you might need to do in a bigger corporation, right? Mm -hmm. um, so flexibility is um, one of the, definitely one of the benefits and has really helped me the last couple of years, yeah, for sure. Mm. Okay. Um, I want to go back, 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 back now, past even before... Maybe, or tell me when when was your first job? Because I know you mentioned you had five and a half years of study. Did you work before you studied? What was what was your first role? First job, yeah. It's a, it's a, I worked at a chemist when I was, I think I was in year 10, so maybe 15 years old. Uh, my first job was working at, at a checkout at a chemist um, on the weekend. I think it was a Saturday or something, doing eight hours Um and interestingly, I worked at the chemist for about seven years, so all the way through university, I was still working there. Um, you know, as a casual, maybe when I when I think about that particular um, work, so I kind of started there in the checkout, and then I got interested in um, working in, in the floor. So that's where you kind of help people find stuff and you stack shelves and things. So I did that after about six months. You know, did that as well as working on the checkout, um, and then that that chemist also had a photo lab attached to it. So if you remember back in the day, you'd bring your film into the photo lab and would go, yeah, so I did that for a while um, at the time where kind of digital cameras were also coming out. So we introduced those those Kodak machines where you'd stick in your memory card. And so that was, that was kind of a good learning experience. You know, maybe I was 18, 19 at that time. So it was um, an interesting space to work in. And then, you know, while doing that, I also got interested in, um, I guess, medicine and pharmacy in general. So I, I got the opportunity to work um, what they call behind the counter. So help you as a pharmacy assistant. So you bring a prescription in, um, you know, I'd kind of check it and, and do all the manual work and then pass it off to the pharmacist to um, review that before going out to the customer. So I learned a lot about um, medication and stuff. And then just because I'd almost done everything I could do at that chemist, and I also ended up working in the warehouse 
um, taking orders off stock and and you know, counting things and delivering it to the to the shop. So I pretty much did everything, all, all the different functions of of that chemist in, in the time I worked there. Um, again, I was just curious about how things work. It was like you know I work in one space and I see someone else doing something else. I'm like, oh cool, I wonder how how that how that works, and then you know go and do that. Um, so that was fun. How great that you could do all that working for the same employer as well. And yep. are you still connected with anybody who you worked with back then? Yeah, yeah, I am. Um, got a couple of people I still stay in contact with who I work with back then. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's, it's it's funny just listening to you talk about your career, even your early career. There is this. It seems there's a real pattern of you getting in there with this curious mindset and figuring out what you can learn and then hopping off to something sort of adjacent, slight bit connected or maybe in a different direction and then pulling all these different pieces together. Um, do you think that that's become deliberate as your career has progressed? Yes, and I think that's a really important point because at the time I didn't realise I was doing that, you know, probably wasn't until about three or four years ago, I actually realized that that's something that I've been doing in my career. Um, but yes, I think that's definitely been a, a trend in my career about um, being curious about things and creating opportunities and, and just to some extent going with the flow, perhaps. Like if you asked me five years ago, where would I be? I would not know that I'd be here today. If you asked me 10 years ago, where would I be? Like, you know, there's no way I could have predicted where my career would have taken me. So I think a lot of my career has been um, being curious about different things and then finding opportunities to explore. Um, so as much as I might think that, yeah, I had a 10-year plan and then you work towards that plan, that's realistically, no, that's not how that works. <laughs> it's funny how the chaos kind of works out, though, in a strange sort of way. Yeah. It's not a yeah. straight line. It's not. And if you ask me today, where do I think I'll be in five years, I, I wouldn't answer that because I just don't know. I couldn't answer that five years ago. I could answer it two years ago. I probably can't today. Like, it, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> do, you, do you sort of prefer that too, kind of the adventure? I do. Yeah, very mm. much. Yeah. Mm. Um, I don't know where that comes from. Maybe my early days of playing lots of video games. <laughs> right. <laughs> Love adventure, yeah. Uh, so... Has there ever been a point in your career, this is a wild card question, a lock, so I didn't put this in the pack, you haven't had a chance to prepare, so sorry to put you on the spot, but has there ever been a time in your career when you got stuck and things weren't going the way you hoped and maybe what, how, how did you get unstuck? Yeah, so maybe that um, four years ago, that um, scale-up I was working for, where um, the US scale up where I opened the office in Australia. Um, about two years working with that company was amazing, probably one of the best um, experience of my career. Um, the company sold to a multinational company, a much bigger corporation. Um, so then I kind of got wound up into the big, big machine, um, which, yeah, that, that was probably a part of my career where I was like, I'm, I'm not really enjoying what I'm doing and I'm not sure how, you know, my everyday day-to-day -day work is actually making a difference. Um, so that's a part of my career where I was a little bit, um, yeah, uncomfortable, uncertain, um, not sure what comes next after that. Mm. Um, and, and that's 
probably the accelerator to me really starting COVID or kind of putting on the hat and being like, hey, let's go find something to do that's going to motivate me. Let's do something entirely different. Um, so that's when I started talking to different founders. I started getting involved in the startup ecosystem and, you know, eventually met my co-founder, um, really liked the idea and you know, got stuck into it. Isn't that just such a great story that, you know, sometimes those dips and the moments where we're most tangled and stuck and unhappy are the things that they're the catalyst for, yeah. for the next right move. Yeah. Yeah, so it's one of those things where you never, because I'm in a position where I was so uncertain, starting a startup is also uncertain, but I'm like, well, I don't know what I'm doing here anyway, so let's just do that. <laughs> it's, um, I guess the the cost of doing something different is is much lower now. Whereas if I enjoyed doing something, then moving to something uncertain, I guess there might be a fear that, oh no, what if I don't enjoy it as much, right? But if I'm not enjoying what I'm doing anyway, then where's the harm in just trying something new? And I ended up loving it. So yeah, that's a win. Alok, what's the best career advice you've ever received? Yeah, I think um, one of the advice that I've received that has kind of stuck with me um, throughout the years is this idea of getting really good at learning so learning to learn because one of the things that's guaranteed is change mm. and if you want to create that's exciting and evolving and on the cutting edge you have to be comfortable with constantly learning new things and so that believe it or not that is a skill set that you can work on right you can you can work on getting really good at acquiring knowledge and and you know, figuring out how you learn. What's the best way of learning, right? Like for me, I know that um, you know doing a three year executive MBA isn't the best way for me to learn, but spending three years working on my own startup is an amazing way for me to learn because I learn by doing, right? Mm. So anytime I need to learn something new, I know how my mind works, and I know that I need to just try a few things. I need to experiment, and that's how I learn. So I think um, that's really helped me throughout my career. Um, so whenever I've been in a situation that's been uncertain or where I had to like learn something new, I knew exactly how I respond and how what I need to do in order to acquire that knowledge. So that's been really useful advice. That's wonderful. And it's very generous and wise advice yeah. that I think we could all, yeah, learn from, learn from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so that's maybe the structured part over, but we'll call this a little bit bonus content now because my mind is itching to know more about how you use hardware and software to see if plants are thriving in a carbon-rich environment. Do you know what those folks are up to these days? Where, I mean, that must be somewhere else entirely now, that research. Yeah, like what, yeah, what was that the was legacy? Maybe over, over 12 years ago. I haven't really kept up to date on where they're up to, but I think, um, yeah, it would be quite interesting to, to figure out what, what they're up to. But at, at the time, we built these two, um, two different systems. One was a lab-based system. So it was like a large machine, maybe 10 by five meters with a conveyor belt where they would put a pot plant on the conveyor belt and the conveyor belt would take it into this chamber mm. and it will close up and the chamber has a lot of sensors like laser, LiDAR sensors, cameras, and it will just take a lot of images as the plant spins, plant spins around. Mm -hmm. And that would be the raw data that we would then process to create um, kind of point clouds and other measurements of the, of the plant and the scientists would then analyze that. So that was one of the systems we built. And the other system was a, it looks horrendous, but it's a it's a tractor that we had converted into a measurement system. So we had mounted mm. a frame on top of it. 
again, with LIDARs and cameras on it. So it'll mm -hmm. drive over um, these patches of crops. And as it drives over, it'll start taking measurements. Mm -hmm. um, and then it'll we'll use GPS, which is on the tractor as well, to kind of um, stitch it all together at the end and, and produce um, kind of graphs and things for scientists to, to analyze. So yeah, that was interesting. It actually sounds also like a lot of fun. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So mm. spent, spent a few days down in Canberra um, working on this this hideous tractor. Um, yeah, one of the days the GPS unit on the tractor failed. And that's when that's probably the turning point where I realized I don't really enjoy hardware because we learned that because it's such a specialized GPS unit, it'll take us six weeks to get a replacement. <sighs> So for six weeks, you can't do anything with that tractor. And it's like, oh, isn't it fun? <laughs> yeah, that's not but, the fun um, part. Yeah. 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 They um it's it's just funny. Like I've you know, we we've talked about how you've you've taken knowledge from all these different places. And as you're talking, I'm kind of taking little bits of information from your story and I'm thinking about the interconnectedness of it all. Like um, working on um, how to ensure that plants can grow in a carbon-rich environment and then working on a product that ensures that people um, are protected um, with increasing risks of climate change and more drastic severe weather with with covered. Um, and, you know, and then even that that beautiful setup at CSIRO in Canberra getting smashed by hail. You, do you remember that when the storm, the hailstorm yep. came through and yep. all that research got mm. damaged? It's like there are so many little connecting neurons mm. with the work you did way back 12 years ago and, and what you're doing today. I think that's just so cool. Yeah, I mean, I haven't really thought about it that way, but you're right. <laughs> that is quite fascinating. Um, yeah, I, th I think it pays to take the time to kind of reflect on on all of our journeys. It's probably something I probably don't do enough of, but I need to do more. Well, yeah, we got a good 40 minutes in today, which is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, what do you think is coming next for InsureTech? Like I know you said we don't do five-year plans for ourselves, like you mentioned. You're not, you're not sure where you'll be in five years, but where do you think yeah. InsureTech will be in five years? Yeah, well, one of the ways I think about InsureTech, um, so before I also worked in financial services um, in the lending space, um, and the way I think about it is kind of banking and, and lending is probably five years, five, 10 years ahead of InsureTech in the way that um, they've managed to become really customer centric and um, use customer data, you know, whether it's open banking or, or in, in other third party data sources to really um, improve the customer journey. And you can see that from a lot of the new banks that have launched, a lot of the innovation that existing banks have made or the, these new lenders that are in the market. Um, and I think insurance is probably ripe for a similar kind of trans transformation. So um, figuring out how to better use data to price risk, um, figuring out how to how to get uh, create better customer experiences. And now with, with kind of the introduction of, of, of AI and large language models and, and generative AI, I think there's a huge opportunity to um, start helping people understand their insurance better. Mm. So I think those are probably the key trends that we'll see over the next you know, five years. Yes, and you're going to contribute to those too, aren't you? Absolutely, we're going to be driving it. If you'd like to learn more about Alok's work, check out covered.com.au to find out more. And if you'd like to stay up to date with what we're doing at WorkPants, you can join us on LinkedIn, Instagram and TikTok. If you've got a special career path that you'd like us to explore, let us know and we'll find a guest. Thanks for listening. See you next time.